Thank you. All right. Can you guys hear me all right? Good morning. Good to be with you. Um, it's, uh, it's fun to be here during the summer. It's just such a, like, I don't know if you guys notice, doesn't it take like way less time to get across town? Are you like, what is going on? There's this weird, like, kind of mixed emotion. Like, it feels, maybe you have this feeling, like, it's kind of a ghost town. But then you're like, I love the quiet. Um, got up this morning, sat outside on our Adirondack chairs and had my coffee and went through my sermon. It was just lovely. So um, hopefully, if you're uh, joining us online or you're uh, here in person, you get some time to, to be outside today because it is just beautiful. Um, so I'm, I'm just like... I, I love these uh, summer days that are actually kind to us here in Manhattan. So as Josh said, I'm Sarah. I'm the pastor of outreach here at Mosaic. Um, and we have been in a series exploring Ephesians. We've had a few uh, diversions with Mother's Day and Father's Day. And so this we've been in this series for a while. Um, so if you are going, wait a minute, Ephesians, I didn't even realize you were doing that, or you missed a few, you can go to mosaicmhk.com media and get caught up on any of the uh, ones that you've missed. So I'm curious if any of you have ever had a boss that you felt was particularly difficult to work for, or maybe <laughs> some people are raising their hands. Um, maybe that boss was you if you owned your own business. You're like, I am particularly difficult to work for. Um, I know when I owned my own uh, my own business, I was like, oh man, this is hard. This is a different kind of hard. Um, maybe you've had a job that, you know, your boss was, was fine, but, but you didn't know what you were doing. It felt like um, you were, you know, just like out of place. But specifically that relationship with, with your work environment and your boss. Um, I remember that when I was an employee at Chili's in college, I was a server. And uh, this was not the right job for me. And I, I mean, nobody, nobody just you know, bothered to tell me. Um, I had to sort of struggle and figure it out. But if you've ever been a server or worked in, in food like that, you know that multitasking is the entire job, right? Um, you have to know where all of the tables are at. You know, this one just sat down, this one needs to pay, this one needs refills. That would, does not work for my kind of brain. Um, and so that was an extremely difficult job, and especially what was difficult was that you're not really getting an hourly wage. You're basically, your entire pay check is based on your ability to make people happy, your ability to anticipate needs, your ability to know what is going on all the time in every moment. And I was very bad at all of that. And so here I am, bad at multitasking, which is going to help me get people's approval. And people's approval is what is going to get me a tip, which I am living on. You can see how there was pure panic during every shift, right? Um, it was really, really scary. And then the even scarier part was when I would mess something up, I'd mess up an order, something would take too long, I would have to sheepishly walk up to the manager and ask him to comp the items that I had screwed up. And, and that, you know, he's losing money and, and I'm feeling bad because I've upset my customers. Now I've upset my manager and I'm being swallowed up into a black hole of anxiety and doom. And, you know, it's funny because in college you have like a little bit less um, emotional bandwidth to deal with that. And as you get older, you start to realize like, okay, you know, this is part of life. But sometimes that, that anxiety that you have in your workplace, um, it can be really, really stressful. 
So maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can relate to the feeling that you're just trying to meet the objectives, you're trying to make the boss happy, the client happy, whoever it is, and it's just not working very well. And, and there's this catch-22 of, of anxiety that's always going on. <clears throat> you're either worried you're going to mess up or you're worried because you just messed up, right? And it, it's, it's just this constant thing. Um, I felt like this so many times. And when you're an employee, it's not like you can just talk yourself out of it like, well, it won't be that big of a deal because it is a big deal, okay? Let's just be honest, this is why you have anxiety. It's like, if you don't have a job, then you can't pay your bills. And if you can't pay your bills, then what do you have? You live in a house with no water and no electricity, or maybe you don't have a house at all. It really is, there's a reason that we feel this sense of anxiety and, and the, the stakes are high, because they are. They're very high. Um, and so this anxiety that we have tends to be our approach to work, but here's the thing that I've noticed. I've noticed that that anxiety is also our approach to faith, and it's our approach to our relationship with God. This, this pervasive anxiety that we we're, we're just can't quite get it right, we're about to mess up or we just messed up, and that's just the state of things, that is our relationship with God. We're afraid that we're going to mess up. We're afraid because we just messed up. We're afraid because maybe we messed up and we don't even know it. I know that that's something that I've dealt with over time. And, and then there's God, and he's annoyed, like my manager was, that he has to comp my sin again, right? He has to take it off of the register. Oh my gosh, you did that again. This is so annoying. We're having this conversation again, right? Have you ever just had this repeat thing where you have to admit to someone that you did something that you, you know, wrong again, and, and how that transmits into your relationship with God? You're like, okay, God, I did that thing again, right? And, and it's like the, that kind of anxiety pervades our lives. And so when we get a little bit older and, and you know, in, in our relationship with God, maybe as you get decades of, of reps under your life um, and, and you're interacting with God over time, you maybe start to realize that this obsession with your behavior is, is like not really working for you, you know? You're kind of like, okay, I think that God, you just kind of like assume that God has like you matured a little bit and gone, make, made some room for complexity. You know, like, okay, I understand that, you know, these things are happening and, and we're just gonna like move on a little bit. You just kind of accept that there are certain parts of your life that are hard, you're not very good at it, but isn't there just still that low-grade anxiety? You know, at the end of the day, even when you kind of make peace with some stuff, there's just this feeling that like, you're just not really, if, if you were to really be honest with God, there would be like, he would have a list, right? He would have a list of things. Um, and so it feels like that anxiety is still there in our lives. And if you feel like that, that's not just our culture. That's not just America right now. That is what it feels like to be a human. This relationship that we have with this angry or displeased divine employer, that relationship as humans that we feel, that is such a common experience that in Ephesians 5, Paul addresses it. Paul is like, Paul's like, hey, this is a really common thing, um, and so let's talk about it. But here's the thing that he does. He doesn't just talk about the behavior. He doesn't just talk about the actions. He corrects the misconception by reminding the Ephesian people, the, the uh, church in Ephesus, that first they are God's children. And he starts to peel apart the differentiators 
of this identity of being a child of God and being someone who doesn't identify as a child of God and, and what, how, they, how they think about themselves. And I think it's very interesting. So we're going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, we're going to, and, and one of the things I want you to notice as we go through this, I just want you to look for all the times where Paul is referencing um, it, it, as he's talking with the Ephesian church, he's referencing how they are God's children or their relationship to God. Just notice that as we go through. And, and as we go, I did a little bit of a deep dive into the Greek, um, and I'm not going to give you the Greek word every time because that will annoy you eventually, I promise. <laughs> Even if you love it and you're like, oh, I just want to know, it will annoy you because I do it a lot. So just trust that I've gone in and I'm giving you some, like the expanded version of each of these words where I noticed it was meaningful because I want us to understand a little bit more about some of the intent of what Paul was trying to say. So let's start. Ephesians 5 uh, verse 1, follow God's example or in Greek, be the, the imitators of. Be, it's actually a word that um, means mime right? So you're, you're miming, you're imitating God. Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. It means to walk around in, right? This word just means like to, to, as you're living out your life, walk in the way, practice, live out of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or idolatry. Pay attention to this word, or of any kind of impurity or greed, which also translates to coveting or envy, because those are improper for God's holy people, God's children or saints, right? So notice how it's starting to stack up, how many times he's talking about them as children. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place for who? For God's children. But rather, thanksgiving, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, greedy person. So he, notice he's referencing right back up to what he was just talking about. There shouldn't be a hint of this. Because no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Okay, I want to stop there for just a second. This is really interesting, and I actually didn't know this until I got into the Greek a little bit and started diving in. Because... When I read words like this, it feels like, oh, I, I have a hard time. I'm a person who really values inclusion. I want to make sure, I want to lower barriers. I want to get as many people in the door as possible. And here's, here's um, Paul being like, these people aren't going to inherit the kingdom of God. And you're like, oh, okay. So like, you know, as the, as the preacher, I have to figure out what to do with this, right? Well, don't worry. It's all built in. Here's, here's what the word idolater means. Idolater is made up of two words in Greek. Um, eidolon, which is idol, and latris, which means hired servant. Interesting, isn't it? We, talk, we started talking about the relationship of an employee, right, as we, got, as we got started here. So pay attention to this. Okay, he's saying it's a hired servant of an idol or a false god. And that person, the hired servant of a false god doesn't have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ, right? And how will you know if someone is a hired servant? You'll know because there's immorality, there's idolatry. They're imitating someone who's not me. 
There's impurity, there's greed, there's covetousness, there's all this like self-preserving behavior, right? And that's how you're going to know that someone feels and is living out of an identity as a servant of a false idol because they're not an heir. They're not a child, right? That's not their identity. You, you, he said, Paul says, are a child of God. And so you don't have to act in this way. You don't have to act self-preserving. You don't have to act like it's up to you to go out and, and get what's yours because you're an heir. That's your identity. It's coming for you. The goodness of God is coming for you, right? So he says, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of such thing, God's wrath, comes on those who are disobedient. The wrath means anger or punishment that's building up over time. So it actually, in the Greek, it's a specific kind of anger. It means to swell up, and it takes time. And we talk, it talks about how God is patient with us, right? And God is waiting, and he's giving us chances, giving us chances. So this particular type of anger isn't that explosive anger, like, ugh, bam, right? It's this, it builds up over time, and it says that it comes on those who are disobedient. And again, in the Greek, those who are disobedient is the sons or the children of disobedience. So do you see how he's differentiating? He's saying that this anger that builds up over time where God is, is trying to be patient and, and they don't know who they are and they're doing all these self-preserving things over time and they're out there just trying to, you know, jostle their way in, get what they want. And those are sons of disobedience or the people who are unpersuaded is another way that the Greek uses it. They, they have just, they don't, they don't believe. They don't believe in God. And so he's differentiating between the children of God who are calmly and peacefully and confidently living as heirs of the kingdom of heaven and the people who are living with greed and covetousness and self-preservation. Do you see? He continues to branch this out as we go down. So he continues, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You were darkness, not you were in darkness. I, think, I thought this was so interesting. He's like, you were literally darkness. You were just walking around, you were a black hole. But now you are light in the Lord. And it'll actually tell you why you're light here in a minute. This is so cool. Live as children of light, okay? So children of love, children of God, children of light, for the fruit of light consists or is made up of goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out. And so what this, the word find out means, to, it means like to test out, to try out. Even you could say, if you're a child, experiment, right? You're just trying, you're imitating to learn, to understand what pleases the Lord. So it doesn't mean that you sit in your room, right? This isn't like we sit in our rooms and we wait until we get this like divine download and then we go out and do what pleases the Lord, right? It means that you, out of, out of your life, as you're living, as you're going, you're going to experiment. You're going to try things out and you're going to find out as you go what pleases the Lord. He continues, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. How cool is that? Everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And when Christ is shining on you, you have become a light. 
So here you are, this incredible inheritance in Christ that allows you to not have to live as greedy and covetous and and envious and self-preserving and anxious because you know who you are and you know that God has all these good things coming for you. And as you do that, as you live as a child of the light, you become light yourself, right? I think sometimes as Christians, we, we tend to kind of go like, God's the light, and I'm just, I don't know. I, I'm just like over here, you know, I'm trying to be good, trying to do my thing. But, but God is so cool because he is willing to share his glory, right? He's willing to share it with us. And so it's saying that you who are illuminated are, have now become a light. And so what is the responsibility of a light? It's to stay light, right? Right, to stay light. Because that is, that is the calling that God has on our lives, is to be loved and to be well lit, as, as, um, as our sermon title is here. So Paul's talking to the Ephesian church about their behavior. And sometimes I think as humans, because all religions are built on how we act. It's not just Christianity. Every single religion is, is, uh, has this sort of like merit-based system, okay? And we tend to, as human beings, try to figure out how we can earn our way, how we can, how we can pay our way with our good behavior. And we're hoping that our bad behavior is less than, in the end, our good behavior. That's like, that's how all religions are built, okay? Just so you know, like if you want just like a really extremely quick, lazy crash course in religion, it's really about merit. It's about what you're doing. And so we tend to focus on behavior. We tend to focus on actions, but Paul is saying your actions are a reflection of who you know yourself to be, of who you are, right? And so that's why he is obsessively reminding them about who they are. This, these are the sons of disobedience. These are the people that believe they are a hired servant. They're still out here working like an employee. They feel like they have to earn everything. And you, you don't have to earn everything. When you are accepting Jesus into your heart and you are walking and practicing the way of love, you are a child of God. That, that all that earning, that's not how we live here in, in the kingdom of God. That's how, not how we gain an inheritance. And so he's differentiating between those, the children of God and those who are, who are living to, to please a boss, or maybe even, even worse, some of us feel that we're the servant of an idol, the hired servant of a false god, frantically trying to appease them and feeling like we are never measuring up. And this anxiety that we have, this isolation, this feeling like we're out there here on our own, that we don't know, we're trying to guess what the boss wants, we're trying to guess what the big man wants. And when we feel that way, we, it's like we, any, any behavior goes, right? Manipulation, greed, lying, stealing. And that's what he's talking about. He's like, you're going to see those behaviors, but you're only going to see them from the people who aren't living with this confidence. People who know themselves as children of God, people who are loved and forgiven, they act differently. You're not drowning anymore in the anxiety of perfectionism. You aren't trying to jostle and shove your way into an opportunity or into heaven. 
This is not about you at the end of, of eternity standing up next to someone else and, and comparing good deeds or comparing good deeds and, and, and bad deeds. Paul's saying, Jesus called you a child, right? So what does a child do to earn a, affection, right? Isn't it like a sad thing when, when you, have you ever noticed a child like trying to earn, you know, approval? Or even maybe you remember that for yourself and feel grief about that in your own life. But, but a child in, in, God's, in God's economy is meant to be loved and accepted and embraced as they are, just like that. That child can't earn their way, right? Because they don't know a lot. They don't really know the rules, right? I remember when our kids were really little, and I would, I would just sort of like jokingly say that I, was, I had these aliens in my house, and I was trying to teach them my culture. I was trying to teach them my language. It was like, they're from another planet, and so we have to be very patient. They don't know the language. They don't know the norms. They don't know what they should be doing, right? And so in, in here, God is saying that that's, that's us, right? The people that are, are foreign, the people that feel like we don't know what we're doing, we don't know the rules, we can't get it right. And God says, even in that state, that is the state that I want you in. I don't want you in this like heady academic oh yes, God, I'm such an asset to the community. Let me just tell you everything, you know, that I have to offer. Here's my resume, God. That does not impress him, right? He is here for the children. He says that actually, if you want to even be accepted into the kingdom of heaven, you have to become like what? A child. Why? It's like, wait, that feels like going in reverse, right? It doesn't mean that you, you don't control your impulses or that if someone makes you mad, you like hit them, you know, because that's what kids do, okay? That's not what we're saying. It just means that that kind of faith that it takes to believe that someone could love you exactly as you are, that kind of love, that kind of faith is what God is looking for. An employee is focused on their behavior, you guys. A hired servant is thinking about what they are doing. They are like looking down at their feet. What did I do today? What did I not do today? They're obsessed with the list, the things that they did, their accomplishments, their achievements. That is the employee. And many of us are living that way in our relationship with God. An employee only works for God, though, guys. A child belongs to God. It's a totally different experience. A child is loved. They're in line to inherit what the family has, what the family owns. And this is what Jesus is offering us. It's not about what you've done or not done. It's about who you are and about what has been done for you. The disciple John talks to us about the power of love to transform us from fear. In the fourth chapter of his first letter, he says, So we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. That's our confidence, right? Why are we like Jesus? Not because of something we've done, but because of the righteousness that he has placed on us. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out, pushes out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. And are you in line for punishment? Yes, you are if you're a hired servant. If you are the 
the idolater, the, the servant of an idol, the servant of a false god that has come up with all these crazy, ever-changing rules that you can never meet. And they're not really, you know, you, you don't really know like where you stand from day to day. If that's how you're feeling inside of you, right, you don't have to feel that way. You don't have to live that way. You can live with confidence. You can live in this world as Jesus did. And what does that mean? Does that mean like behaving perfectly as Jesus? You know, I, hopefully more and more we become that way. But the, the reason that we become more holy and more like Jesus is not because of our obsession with our behavior. It is because Jesus was so confident in the love of the Father. He was so, so confident in God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. I know God loves me. I know where I'm coming from. Do you remember that? I think this is so cool. When Jesus gets down and he washes the disciples' feet, the verse right before it says, because Jesus knew where he had come from and he knew where he was going, he got down and he served. Right? He knew his origin story and he knew the end of the story. And so he was able to live out of this extraordinary self-sacrifice. But if you don't know where you're going and you don't know where you came from and you don't know who you belong to and you have to scrap and scrimp and save every minute of every day and you are just out there like a hired servant, then you, don't, you can't do that. You can't give things away. You can't live sacrificially. You need that, whatever that is, that, you know, that, that money, right, that time that thing that you love at your house that you feel like, oh, maybe I should share this. Maybe I should give this away. But, but you can't give that away because that's yours and you don't know where the next whatever is coming from, right? And so this idea that we are here living in the world as Jesus, right, is not just about behavior. It's not mostly about behavior. It is mostly about identity. So John is making that differentiation between those who are loved who are living beyond fear and those who are still living in fear. And Paul's a broken record on this topic, you guys. He talks about this all the time. He wrote to the church in Rome, in, in Romans 8. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. See, this, this, there's that familiar term, the slave or the indentured servant, so that you live in fear because that is the state that it's a permanent state of an indentured servant, the idolater, right? The person who is trying to make the gods happy, right? That person who is imitating and following a god that isn't real, a god that doesn't have your best interest in mind. You did not receive that spirit that makes you a slave to, to fear. You received the spirit of adoption to sonship. And by that spirit, by him we cry, Abba, Father, that gives us permission to call God dad, right? The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Paul is, is talking about this all the time. He, this is his, his singular message. I love how Brennan Manning in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, talks about this in more of a modern illustration. He says the saved sinner is prostrate in adoration, lost in wonder and praise. He knows repentance is not what we do in order to earn forgiveness. It is what we do because we have been forgiven. It serves as an expression of gratitude rather than effort to earn forgiveness. Thus, the sequence 
of forgiveness and then repentance rather than repentance and then forgiveness is crucial for understanding the gospel of grace. So maybe you're skeptical. Maybe, maybe it feels like, okay, have you ever had someone take advantage of your kindness? Have you ever like been really nice to someone and they like, you know, took advantage of it? I know I have, right? And so as we hear this, it's kind of like, does this actually really work for us? Right? Maybe like God giving us all, all these, um, leading with love, right? Does that actually change us? Does this transform us? Or is this just like, you know, warm fuzzies and then we go home? Or maybe you have a skeptical attitude about God and humanity in general. Maybe you're not sure, does this work on people? May, you know, no matter where you're at in, in your faith journey, you're just not sure if this works. There's a story from Luke's gospel that, that many of us know that shows how quickly love can transform us from being self-preserving, from being anxious, from being tr trying to, to carve out our little piece of territory. And, and that love, that encounter with the love of God can transform us to being someone who's generous and living from love. You'll probably recognize the story um, from Luke 19. Then Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, so you have to be extra greedy to be a chief tax collector. And he was very wealthy. Yeah, I bet he was. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he could not see over the crowd because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since Jesus was about to pass by. Then when Jesus came to that place, to the tree, he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, hurry down, for I must stay at your house today. So imagine that all these people are in the street with Jesus, right? And everyone's trying to get his attention. And here he looks up to see this guy that everyone who's around here that's trying to get Jesus' attention is like trying to, you know, maybe they're trying to like be extra holy or extra good or kind of like show up in his space and, and you know, get, just get his attention in an interesting way. But I think that probably a common emotion that everyone has who's around Jesus is that they all hate that guy, right? That guy has taken their money. That guy, that, like all the, the vitriol and the animosity and, and all the junk, this person like held all of that anger, right? And here's Jesus walking through this crowd of people who want his attention. And, and if, we're, if we're using a merit-based uh, theology, everyone else around him deserves it more, Right? And so here's Jesus looking up and saying, hey, I'm coming to your house. He is breaking all the rules by doing this. This is not cool. Jesus is like about to hang out. If, if you um, remember how it was in high school, you have all the different categories of people, right? The people that no one wanted to hang out with. The losers. And Jesus looks up and he goes, hey, I'm coming to your house. So Zacchaeus hurries down and welcomes him joyfully. And all who saw this began to grumble. He's gone to be the guest of a sinful man, right? Because they have like revenge, right? They're mad. They're like, wait a minute. I've been doing all these good things. Who, I'm following the, the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees are, are out there telling people how to live. And you want to talk about somebody who might have been an idolater? The Pharisees. Interesting, right? They're, they're preaching about God, the, the Hebrew God, but they are 
what, what is their whole entire way of thinking? They're thinking about themselves as servants because they're obsessed with their own behavior, their own merit, right? And so who is Jesus magnetically attracting? It's all the people who do not have anything to offer in that category. And so Jesus, or, or Zacchaeus says to Jesus, look, Lord, half of my possessions I give to the poor. If I have cheated someone, I will repay it fourfold. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So here is this encounter and you know, they, they can condense it down for the sake of brevity. We don't know how long Jesus spent at his house, but it was this transformative experience where this person who is on the fringes of society, who nobody likes anymore, and he's just like, okay, fine, you know what, I got nothing to lose. I get, I'm fine with like taking people's money. At least I'm rich, right? And he is absolutely acting like that idolater, like that person who is the hired servant of the false god. He has, he has nothing to lose. He doesn't have relationships. All he has is money. He is acting with that anxious self-preservation. And his encounter with Jesus completely flips him around in an afternoon. Nobody saw that coming, right? But that's the power of the encounter of re recognizing that you are loved in the place, it, wherever you find yourself, right? Zacchaeus did zero things to earn the love of God. He was at a major deficit. And that encounter turned him around. And that's what we're being offered. We're being offered the gift of love first before we have done anything. And we're turning around and repenting because we've been forgiven. Because we are God's children, not his employees. We have, we have nothing to earn because there's nothing that we can earn. You literally can't earn anything. That's not the system, guys. You can't earn it. You either are accepting the grace and the forgiveness and the love of God as a free gift, or that's or you don't. Those are your choices. Zero ability to earn it. That's been the story the entire time. I mean, back in Isaiah, the right our righteousness is filthy rags. Why? Because these super clean towels that you have over here are being used to mop up the big mess you just made. Right? Your righteousness is filthy rags. Oops, sorry. You have this really nice like, list of cool things that you just did, but it's being used to clean up the mess. He's been talking about that. Your righteousness is filthy rags the entire time. And then Paul references it again in Romans. It's like, hey guys, stop trying. That's not going to get you anything. Here's why we act good. Here's why we are kind. Here's why we are sacrificial. It's not to earn. It's because you don't have to. It's because the, the approval, the obsession with doing everything right has been lifted off of you. You don't have to worry about that anymore. And so how are you going to act now? What are you going to do? All this life, all forgiveness, all the things that God has given to us is purely a gift of grace. That's it. That's all it is. So how do we live now? How do we practice this way of love? Well, that's just it. We practice. You practice, right? And you imitate, which is so cool. Now, here's, here's something that, that is interesting. Imitation is a form of worship, isn't it? Right? It's a form of worship. It's not only worship. There's lots of people, like if you have a Pinterest board and you have like someone's landscape that you really like, or, or maybe... Um, 
you know, career that you like or, or a, a, a style that you like, you might imitate that. But it is a form of worship. And what you worship, you inherit. And this is why Paul is talking to Ephesus and he's talking to Rome and he's talking to us here in Manhattan, Kansas today. And he's saying, choose carefully who you imitate. Choose carefully who you worship because one form of worship leads you into a fearful servitude that you can never get out of because you can't earn your way. The other leads you into a generous childhood. Those are your choices. So there is a gravitas around worship, right? You know, there's, there's a, a certain sense of seriousness that we should ap apply to this, the practice of following our faith. But also, if we are indeed children, if we're willing to accept that label with a little bit of humility, which I think we should, okay? Because I've messed up enough times that like, it's like I'm definitely not a professional Christian, okay? I'm just a person trying to practice the way of Jesus. And maybe you are too. And so in the middle of the gravitas, right, as we, as we go, okay, I, this is really important. I really want to live this way. As you enter into the identity as a child, what you realize is that there's, there's a levity to it. There's a playfulness because you aren't going to get it right. Have you ever tried to learn a new language with somebody who is like a native speaker? You will say stuff that's like embarrassing, okay? You will. You will say things out of, of context. You will, you will embarrass yourself. And you can, you know, run away humiliated. Or you can laugh about it, right? Because, I mean, I would recommend that. I would recommend laughing. Um, and that is, that, that kind of experimentation and trying things out and practicing is actually exactly the attitude that we, that, that Jesus invites us into as we practice uh, following him as we imitate him because if if we are a hired servant then it really matters that we get it right the first time because your evaluation is coming up and you need to to you know get your hit your metrics don't you okay but if that is not our relationship with god if you are a child and you're living in his house and you are in line for the inheritance then everything you're doing is you're just following him around okay we're doing this now okay, we're doing this now, right? And so the Christian life can actually just be boiled down to a child following around a parent, imitating them, right? That's where we have Holy Spirit inside of us, showing us how to do that. Um, Brendan Manning continues in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, illustrating how a child has freedom to experiment in their secure relationship with their parent. He says, imagine a little boy trying to help his father with some housework or making his mother a gift. The help may be nothing more than getting in the way. The gift may be totally useless, but the love behind it is simple and pure, and the loving response it evokes is virtually uncontrollable. I'm sure it is this way between our Abba and us. At the deepest, simplest levels, we just want each other to be happy, to be pleased. Our sincere desire counts far more than any specific success or failure. Thus, when we try to pray and cannot, or when we fail in a sincere attempt to be compassionate, God touches us tenderly in return. So, as we put this into practice, we put practice into practice, right? The observation that I want to invite you to make is to notice where in your life you are acting like the hired servant. Where are you acting out of self-preservation? Where, where do you notice the emotions of 
greed and anxiety, right? Like that, that feeling like, oh, I have to just figure this out on my own. There's gonna be some, some emotions that you notice yourself hitting as you go through your week. And when you get to that point where you feel like, oh, I don't wanna share that with that person, or I don't want per that person to know, or I want to you know, do better than that person, that kind of like unhealthy level of competition, right? Or trying to make sure that, that you get all of whatever it is, right? You get all the accolades that, that your name shows up first on, on the publication, right? Whatever that, that is. When you notice that, I want you to ask yourself, how would I act if I knew I was loved? How would I respond to this person? This, my, my spouse, my roommate, my child, my friend, my boss, my employee. How would I respond if I knew I was loved? Just notice that in some ways, you're still living like a hired servant, right? Because Paul's talking to the Ephesian church. They're Christians just like us. And they're doing it too. It gets ingrained. It does. Because we are, we are not necessarily born, even though we are made in the, every person is made in the image of God, we have a second birth that brings us into the family of God. And so we have to learn how we act in the family of God. And if you are still acting like a servant or an employee, even though you are a child of God, you're in good company that we're all doing that here, right? But we are practicing the knowing that we are loved first. And out of that, we live out of love, right? We're practicing that together. This is something that our community is, is committed to doing together. So I want to close with this really beautiful song, uh, Jason Upton's song, Everything You Do. And it, if you haven't heard the song, I recommend just like go home and listen to it because you will probably cry, but if you don't like crying, um, then don't listen to it. Uh, sometimes I'm not in the mood. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. But like, it really, this song really gets me. <clears throat> so uh, the words are, everything you do, I want to do with you. Because doing things with you makes me happy. Everything you say, I want to say it too. And even when I get it wrong, we just start laughing. Merciful Father, learning to trust you love me the way that I am. The simple desire to help you means more to you than whether I really can. Isn't that beautiful? That is the invitation that we are being given to gently and playfully follow in the way of God as dearly loved children. How do we act now? We are no longer held to the standard of the world, frantically trying to please somebody who is impossible. You are trying to live out of love somewhat, but from someone who loves you unconditionally, who has wiped the slate clean, who doesn't want to talk about it, all that's in anymore. You want to always dig it up. They're like, he's like, oh my gosh, can we please move on? Right? Who wants to practice with you how to live in the way of love and who is not stressed out that you did not get it right. Who wants you to just imitate, who wants you to experiment who wants you to live playfully in that space. That's the invitation that we're being given today. So I want to invite our worship uh, team back up, our communion servers as well, if you would come up and join us. And we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. And 
And as we do this, I want to just invite us into a specific meditation because we've been praying this prayer during the series. But in this, in this particular moment, I want us to focus on Jesus' reminder to us that we have a father who calls us his children and how we are called to be cared for as children of God as we read the Lord's Prayer together, okay? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.